All right, let's clap our hands in the name of Jesus one more time. Glory to the Lamb. We're going to dismiss our 5.8 classes, and after you high-five somebody close to you, you can be seated. And uh, today, I am going to be proclaiming to you the one God of Israel we just sang about. So I'm excited for the word that the Lord has for you, His people, today. If I don't mess this up, um, I think it'll really, really be helpful for you. Um, this is going to give so much perspective of what God is doing when it seems like God is nowhere to be found. Um, sometimes we feel like God has forsaken us and, and God's nowhere near. And the title of the sermon today is going to be the powerful, listen to these words, it's crazy. The powerful, painful process of waiting. So the powerful, painful process of waiting. Now, I typically, um, if you're new to the church, um, we preach exegetically through the Bible. You know, we just, we go verse by verse. We're in a book of Ephesians. This is kind of a parenthesis, just a word I feel like God wants to speak to us today. So I don't mind pausing now and again and just hitting a topical message. And that's completely what this is today. So as we get started, I want to say this to you. You are not at the mercy of your circumstances when you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. You are not at the mercy of your circumstances when you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Rather, you are at the mercy of an all-powerful, all-knowing, very gracious, very merciful God. And that line in and of itself, those few sentences there, are life-changing if we get them. So I want to tell you a story today about a, a, a few people, but I, I want to start with the story of a lady named Hannah. Many of you are probably familiar with a guy, a prophet in the Bible. His name was Samuel. There are two books in the Bible named after him, uh, First and Second Samuel. <laughs> How about that? Um, so, pretty easy to remember. But what I want you to see about Samuel is Samuel, this great man of God, one of the greatest prophets of Israel ever, was born in the process of painful waiting. Samuel was born in like a travailing, seemingly unfortunate, painful part of life. I'll explain. There was this guy named Elkanah, and he had two wives. And a lot of times when we're reading the Old Testament, it, it can be kind of confusing to us because we see all these men who had two wives, and you don't see God, like, putting a stop to it, or three wives, or however many they had, and it's like, what in the world's going on? It's almost like God's saying it's okay. But when you read the narrative of the entirety of the Old Testament, and this is just a little tidbit on how to understand what God is teaching us in the Bible, when you read the entirety of the narrative of the Old Testament, it is always showing how that brings disaster uh, and, and, and unfortunate circumstances. The Lord ordained that men should have one wife. And, but Elkanah had two wives. Um, one was named Peninnah, and the other was named Hannah. Now, Peninnah had children which is crazy to me and here's something I hope you can think about 
all throughout the Old Testament. I'm just going to plot a few examples for you today, okay? But all throughout the Old Testament, guys, people that had promise on their lives, people that were like spoken over by God, people that had been redeemed, God's elect, people that God was going to do something with, they always went through this crazy, waiting, painful process. And Hannah is one of these ladies because Peninnah, the other wife of Elkanah, was just having babies. And every year, Elkanah would take his family up to the place, to the house of the Lord, and, and, and they would pray. And I want you to really try to see life here for a moment through Hannah's eyes. She always felt like the lesser wife because the other woman is giving kids like crazy and and the Bible records that Hannah would weep she would weep and she just felt sorrow because she wanted kids but Hannah was barren and God made Hannah wait Hannah had to wait on the Lord and that makes me, and all this week I've just been thinking about, you know, what are you waiting for in life right now? Survey your circumstance. Seriously, think about this, because God wants to speak to some people today, I think. What are you waiting for? What does it seem like the wind is at your face and not at your back? Where are some areas that God has said, no, you're going to be blessed, and it just seems like fight after fight after fight and barrenness after barrenness after barrenness. That being said, let's pray together today. Jesus, we come before your throne, God, and ask that you would touch every barren situation in our lives today. God, help us to see what I pray specifically is not that you would bail us out of these situations because you've put us here on purpose every one of us in our different situations in life, but I pray that we would have the strength through the power and graciousness of Jesus Christ to wait on you, to gain all the tools in this lowly place that we may need as we wait on you and you are about to exalt us for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Real quick, I want to read you just a few verses out of the scripture where the Bible talks about waiting, and there are numerous passages in the Bible where God encourages us to wait. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 24 through 26. The Bible says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Listen to this. The Lord is good to those who... Everybody say, wait. Wait. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. The soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly or peaceably for the salvation or the deliverance of God. We have got to learn to wait peaceably on the deliverance of God. Psalm 37, verse 7, the Bible proclaims to us Be still. Be still. Be at peace. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 130, verse 5, Wait for the Lord. My soul, David cries out here, 
waits for the Lord. And here's what we do in the waiting. Hope in His Word. While you wait on God, you have got to hope in His Word. The promises of the Word of God are what will sustain you and fuel you in your days to come. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Isaiah proclaims, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. That is so comforting to know that the God who is sovereign over the moving of every dust particle anywhere in the universe, on any planet, at any given time, nothing happens outside of the sovereign hand of God, and He is not taxed. He's not wore out. He's not tired. He's not weary. He has us exactly where He wants us, and His understanding is unsearchable. Sometimes we're not going to get it, but God knows exactly what's going on, and listen to this. He knows you're faint. He gives power to the faint. Sometimes God brings events into our life to humble us. He humbles the proud because God likes to lift up the lowly. He brings us to lowly places. He knows your faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and grow weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But, 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 here's a promise that you can put in the bank They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. The powerful, painful process of waiting on God. I really think that we probably spend more time waiting on God in life than we do possibly enjoying the promises. But there's a reason for that. There's a design for this. And that's what I want to show you today. But there's a few other people I want to mention that had to wait on the promises of God in their life. Namely, Abraham. I want you to think about the life of Abraham. If you're not familiar who Abraham is, Here's what happened. God creates the heaven and the earth. He puts people on the earth. People sin. They fall into complete depravity. Um, No one's serving God, basically. Everyone's going out doing their own thing, doing exactly what they want, so God floods the earth. Save Noah and his family. They are saved through the flood. God repopulates the earth through Noah and his family, and these folks rebel also. But this time, instead of God destroying the earth with a flood, in Genesis chapter number 12, he calls out one man from a fallen world and his name was Abram we call him Abraham and God in the promise that he's about to give this one man literally changes his name from Abram to Abraham which means the father of a multitude he changes his name from Abram high father to listen to this father of multitudes now here's the point in Genesis 12 God calls Abraham and he says Abraham Follow me, and I am going to make you a father of so many people, so many nations. They're going to be like the sand on the seashore. Can you count the grains of sand on the seashore? No, you cannot. That's how many descendants you're going to have. 
And Abram at this point was 75 years old and fatherless. So over the next several years of Abraham's life, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. And God made this promise to Abraham and Abraham's real happy. But then God brings him into this lowly time of suffering, this time of enduring, this time of waiting on the promises of God. And a lot of times we like to jump ship when we're in the waiting part. And Abraham, in a word, jumped ship when he was in the waiting part. And he says, okay, God's taking too long, so I'm going to take things into my own hands. And he takes his wife's handmaid, her name was Hagar, and goes into her and lies with her and brings forth a son by the name of Ishmael through Hagar. This was the works of the flesh. This was Abraham pushing it. This was Abraham forcing the promises of God into his life when God was saying, no, wait, 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 don't birth an Ishmael. Wait on me, wait on me, wait on me. And so Abraham gets so frustrated. And at one point in Abraham's life, Father Abraham, this great icon of faith that starts the church that we're a part of today, he says in Genesis 15, basically, God, where in the heck are you? I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and I am still childless. And this happens right before the Hagar part that I was telling you about. He's like, is this Eliezer of Damascus to be my heir? Did I misunderstand what you said? How many of you, seriously, how many of you have ever felt, I must have misunderstood what God said? Two of us have. The rest of you will someday. (laughs) I have so many times been like, God, did I misunderstand you? Am I going down the wrong path? If you've never been there, you'll be there. I want to encourage you today. God drops a word of encouragement to Abraham and he says, no, Abraham, look up at the stars. Count. Count. You will have that many kids. He encouraged him on the way. And Abraham waits on the Lord. And some 25 years, did you hear that? Some 25 years after God made a promise to Abraham, when it seemed like God had forgotten, forsaken, nowhere around, what the heck's going on, I must have misunderstand you. And then finally, 25 years later, he gives forth to a son, and they name him Isaac. It took 25 years to get from the promise to the low spot, to the fruit. The promise of the faithful ones. The promise of the church is really what God was making to Abraham here. The promise of Isaac was born, Isaac was born in the painful process of waiting. That is so encouraging to me. And I hope you find encouragement in that today. Because just just because the wind's in your face that doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. Here's the point. And I'm going to get to this quickly today. And I was going to tell you about Joseph, but you can learn about Joseph on your own. Same problem. Joseph has a dream and he goes through some 20 plus years of travail before what God had shown him came to pass. Here's the point. No one likes to wait on God. The term wait is equated to or equivalent to enduring, enduring, waiting, suffering. 
it is so important whether you attend this church in the future or some other church that you are always a part of a church that is real with you. It is so important that a pastor prepares his sheep for suffering so that when the suffering comes, you don't think you're going down the wrong path and jump ship. Suffering is normal. Suffering is a gift from God that is going to give you the joy that you are after. Here's what we think. Here's our gut reaction. Here's our natural way of thinking as people. We think because we're having to wait on God and things aren't going easy and it's not going like we thought it should. We think it's a signal to give up, but it's not a time to give up. It's a time to grow. It's a time to seek. It's a time to turn to Jesus Christ. That would have been a good spot to say amen. Three phases that God has taught me, I think, of how He works in our lives. I could be wrong, but it seems pretty solid. And I wish I had some big emojis that I could show you. Because picture this, okay, here it is. The three phases that God works in our lives. And, and I think you could study it out through all the patriarchs and all, the, all these great men and women of God who have such promise on their lives like you. Promise. Joy. Hope. I want you to picture like a big, giant, smiley face. This is when we get saved, right? And, and, and we're told, hey, give your life to Jesus and God's going to take all your sorrows away. And in a sense, that's very true. But what we don't tell you is they're going to be replaced with some new ones. So hold on. <laughs> right? This is how we sell the Lord. It's like, it's going to be great. And it is. And it's awesome. And there's this true joy in this river of life that is in us. And it's, and it's always there. And, and that's what we're talking about when we say that. And you can't always tell the whole story at once. So very, very understandable. But, but promise, okay? Hope. Joy, here we are, right here. And then when you get saved, this, this, this promise of everlasting eternal life, this hope, this, these things that God says, here's what I'm going to do in your life, the journey of it starts. And it starts sometimes emotionally like this. A day goes by and I got saved on Sunday and I was so excited, but Monday my boss is on my back. And the things that have been frustrating me over the last 10 years are still there. And wait a minute, I got saved. Wasn't this supposed to go away? No, it's not going to go away. And, 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 and maybe God told you, I'm going to do this. And like, 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 like Hannah, you will have kids if you, if you wait. Like Abraham, hey, you will give forth the eye. You will be birthed Isaac. If you, if you just wait, Joseph, hey, you do have a dream. It was for me, but you got to wait. See, he's bringing us through this, this process. And I think this process is 1 Corinthians 15. Talking about, Paul is talking about the resurrection of our bodies. And he refers it to farmers because the culture he's preaching to is so farmish. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they worked in the dirt and they didn't go to the Walmart neighborhood market. You know, they, 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 they knew farming. And so when you, he says, look, guys, when you plant a seed, it doesn't come up the way it was planted. In fact, that seed has to 
die before it can bring forth fruit. So it's like when you get saved, God gives us this bag of grass seed. I love green grass. Does anyone here love green grass? I want a nice yard. I can't afford it, but someday I'm going to hopefully, Lord willing, get like a sprinkler system and water my grass. And I like to go barefoot in the yard and just walk on soft green grass and play catch with my kids in the grass. I love green grass. There's going to be green grass in heaven. There will be no broadleaf junk in glory, I promise you. Right? But I love, and, and it's like God gives you this bag of grass seed and you're happy. You're like, I got this grass seed. This is going to be great. I'm going to go great lawn. But when you plant it, it takes some time and it's got to die before it comes up something different than what it was when God gave it to you. Okay, so here's, here's the three phases. You've got this happy face. I got saved and this is great. And I got this bag of grass seed. But then what we don't tell you, because it's not fun to hear, but that's going to die. And you're going to have to plant it in the ground and it's going to take time. Here's phase two. Seed, time, harvest, waiting, enduring, suffering. But you know what happens to most people right here? We quit. Because the wind's not at our back. Because it's not going easy. Because we're having to fight for this promise that God has given us. Man, this is life-changing stuff, y'all. Jesus said something in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, that ministers to us when we're down here in the waiting. Very important passage of Scripture. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he says to the people, if anyone would come after me. Jesus was very straightforward with the people. He was the great shepherd. He was the iconic pastor. Listen to what he says. It's not going to be an easy road. I'm going to send you out into a storm, in fact. It's going to be hard. Jesus says, take up your cross. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. See, Jesus said, get ready for the suffering so that when you're down here, you don't quit. But what happens is people say, well, I got Jesus and I was supposed to never be an alcoholic again and I'm still suffering. I got saved and I still do it. Right? Don't quit. Don't quit. Do not quit. He said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's not going to be easy. He wouldn't relate it to the cross if it wasn't hard. The cross was a Roman torture device that was used to put people through what's called excruciating pain. The cross was such a torturous way to die that they made up a word for it. Excruciating. There was no way to explain it. When you say excruciating, you're saying a word that basically means from the cross. Follow me through this excruciating pain. It's going to be painful when the promise I gave you is 
seemingly dying, but really it's just taken root. It's going to be painful. And watch what he says. And this is where I hope you can find some encouragement. For whoever would save his life. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what Abraham tried to do? Bring forth the promise on our own. Wait a minute, this ain't right. I'm uncomfortable. This is, this is suffering. Surely this isn't right. I'm supposed to be, you know, the safe man of God and, and, and everything's supposed to be great in my life and I'm supposed to be this shining light and, 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 but, but, but I've got to save myself and get the heck out of here. And what happens is we jump ship. Very interesting that we jump ship in a storm in the middle of a lake and you can't even see the side but we're so freaked out we jump out but whoever loses his life let me say that another way but whoever will wait on me whoever in the suffering will deny themselves and wait on me it's going to be excruciating it's going to be really painful. But I have a promise for you. Do not quit. Do not quit. Do not jump out of the boat. But whoever loses his life for my name's sake, if you'll just weather the storm, then here comes phase three. You ready? Exceeding joy, fruit, harvest, promise fulfilled here's the three phases promise seed hope time waiting suffering endurance fruit joy everlasting where are you in the phase where are you in the phase so here's the question i want to ask because most people quit here why why, why do we quit in the low spot? And here's some hints. I don't think this is the only reason why, but I think it's a helpful reason to understand. Because we ask questions like this, okay. God, I, I, some crazy reason, I believe what this guy up here is saying right now, and I, I, I believe you're with me, even though it seems like you've forsaken me. What did Jesus say when he was dying on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt it too. Aren't you glad he didn't jump off the cross? If you're so hard, then where are you? Where's the evidence of your promise? Where's the fruit? Right? How many times have I asked God, where's the fruit? Why, God, do I feel like I'm failing? Who's felt that way? because ingrained into your heart and my heart and our culture are celebrations over the wrong things. We celebrate when the wind is at our back. The one wise leader said, hey, the road to success is an uphill battle the entire time. If it's hard, you're probably on the right track. If you're going downhill, you're coasting. Did you ever think about that? We celebrate when we get a like on Facebook. Woohoo! We celebrate when we get the new job. Woohoo! I got the raise. I got a bigger house. I built a bigger barn. You fool. 
This night your soul is required of you, right? We celebrate if the wind's at our back and everything's going smooth, but we don't celebrate when you're enduring the storm. We should celebrate when someone has enough faith in God to say, I'm not going to jump ship. I'm going to stay right on board and see what God's about to do in my life because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Amen. Come on, guys. Mix the word with faith a little bit. I don't expect you to say amen all the time, but once in a while, let me know your life. We find our value in the wrong things, so when we get into the storm, we think it's time to quit because things aren't going right. But I want to tell you today, you're not valuable because you got a job. You're not valuable because you have a wife. You're not invaluable because you're single. You're not invaluable because you didn't get the promotion. You're not invaluable because you're going through financial hardship. You're not not favored of God because you're suffering these things. You are valuable because in Revelation 13 verse 8, the Bible said that your name was written in God's book of life. That makes you valuable. God pursued you recklessly and gave his life for you. That's where your value is, and you will only feel valuable when you hope in God's word in the waiting and don't look to the things around you. See, the Lord's teaching us how to wait, how to wait. It's so cool that we have a God that cares enough for us to teach us how to wait. I was praying the other day at my job and God's just set me up in this awesome place and I get to pray at work and don't tell people that because I don't want to stop and uh, I'm sitting up in, in just in a room by myself and I'm seeking I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying through the Psalms if you're like me sometimes when you pray you run out of things to say which is okay let God talk um, but pray through, the, pray through the Psalms that's, that's one of the reasons they're there And I came across this verse that I hope lodges into your heart. And this isn't in the notes back there, guys. I just, so don't worry about trying to put it up there. But you can write it down if you're taking notes. Psalm 119, verse 37, to which if you don't take notes when the word of God is being preached, you should start doing it. That's a great thing. Psalm 119, verse 37, says this. Turn my eyes, God, from looking at worthless things. Let me say that another way. God, don't let me get my value because I got money in the bank or I drive a good car or everything's going right in my family or, you know, or I I got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or I got 37 likes on Facebook or whatever it is. You know, don't let me get my value in that. Keep my eyes, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and please hear this. Oh God, but give me life in your ways. Is that your heart? That's the heart of the psalmist. That's the heart of David. That's the heart of a man after the heart of God. And in that, you will feel valuable. You will be sustained through the storm. You won't jump ship and you'll hold on. And guess what comes next? A sunny day. The fruit. The harvest. The promise. The victory. We want our back. We want the wind at our back. We want life to be just throw up my cell and the wind catch it and there it goes, right? That's what we want. 
That's heaven. <laughs> That's coming. That's not reality right now. You're going to have those days. Celebrating those days. You're gonna, God is going to bless you with days of joy, and it's just going to be like, what the heck? Why do I feel like dancing? Right? <laughs> and, 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 it just, and, and, and love those days and store up joy in those days, but you're going to have days when the wind's in your face. And this is the day I want to teach you about, and then we'll be done. So I want you to hear this. Sometimes God, please hear this, okay? Don't forget the, this sentence. Sometimes God is going to send you right into a ferocious storm. And he's going to sit on the bank of the lake and watch you. <laughs> this doesn't even make any sense. It's almost like God's one of those parents that teaches their kids to swim by chucking them in the water. Don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, it's... God is going to send you because he loves you right into the face of some ferocious storms. I'm about to show you biblically why I say that. But real quick, uh, I want us to watch this video. It's like a minute long, and I may not have you guys play the whole Yeah, we'll, we'll probably watch the whole thing, but um, go ahead and play that video, guys, and I may talk to you a little bit through this video. This is a video of the Sea of Galilee, and I just wanted you to see what it looks like because so much happened in the Bible around this lake. Look at that water. Now you can see, obviously, the wind's blowing on this day that this was recorded. But not bad. I mean, the sun's out. It's not even a super rough storm. But look at the size of some of these waves. Okay, that's good enough. You can shut it off. I just wanted you guys to have an idea in your mind with your eye of the Sea of Galilee. So let me tell you a little bit about the Sea of Galilee, and then, and then I'll wrap this up. So the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles um, from the south to the north. It's about 13 miles long, so it's a ginormous lake. Um, it's about 8 miles from east to west, and it's only about 150 feet deep, which for a lake that size, it's, it's not that big. It's about 35 miles around. So they say, like, if you go to Israel, you can rent a bike, and if you're a halfway healthy adult, you can kind of ride around it in a few days, in a day. Um, but the Sea of Galilee, the geographic location of it makes it very, number one, beautiful. I know it didn't look beautiful there. I didn't intend to show you a pretty picture of it, but the water's like, they, they, they braggadociously say it's some of the sparkliest, bluest water you would ever see. This lake is beautiful, okay? It sits on, it sits at about 700 feet below sea level. So it's actually the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. The Dead Sea's a little lower, but it's, it's salty. So this is, this is just, this is the lowest freshwater lake on the planet, and because of its geographical setting, storms can come upon the lake very fast, very, very fast, um, unexpectedly. Um, we're familiar with this because it happened on Table Rock Lake not long ago. And when I watched that video, I didn't see the duck sink, you know, um, 
which is so sad and still I know fresh on everybody's heart. So I, I say all this very carefully, but, but that was a duck. Those, those were like military boats. And even just a small Midwest storm on a lake that suffers storms nowhere near the magnitude of what's capable of happening on the Sea of Galilee. Because being 700 foot below sea level, kind of tropical setting, it's, you know, pretty warm tropical air, but it's surrounded by mountains that some of them reach 2,000 feet in elevation. Therefore, the cold air comes down quickly when the wind blows and causes great storms on the lake. We don't, we don't have that at Table Rock. Okay, but even the storm we got on Table Rock was able to sink the duck and sadly took the life of all those poor people. God be with every one of their families. But that was a military kind of amphibian boat. I want you to rewind 2,000 years to the kind of boats that guys like Peter and the disciples fished out of. <laughs> this is little wooden carcass. So that kind of sets the stage a little bit. So Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. Immediately. I wonder why that word is there. Immediately. I think it's because, and I'm just totally thinking here. The Lord knew a storm was coming and he wanted to get his disciples out into it. <laughs> thanks, thanks, God. Storm's coming, hurry up. Not wait till it's over. Not <laughs> Immediately, he made his disciples, listen to this, get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret, it's the same thing, to Bethesda where he dismissed the crowd. Jesus had just fed 5,000 men and then uncounted in the 5,000 were the women and children that were there um, with the little boy's lunch. And uh, so he sends out the crowd and he tells his disciples, quick, get in the boat, meet me on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that we saw. They were probably taking about a six-mile journey. <clears throat> And Jesus goes up on one of the mountains surrounding the lake where he had a real good view. If you go to Israel, they say you could pretty well kind of know where he was and you could see the whole lake. Guys, go out in the storm. I'm going to go get some box seats. This is going to be awesome. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and then all of a sudden one of these storms comes. Here's the disciples talking about, oh, man, Jesus just did a big miracle. Wasn't that cool? And then... what? They're a fisherman. They're, Peter was a fisherman. He's used to being out on this lake, and, and all of a sudden a storm comes. They're probably like, uh-oh. Didn't see that coming. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And look at this. I'm not making this up. And he saw, he was watching, that they were making headway. Look what Mark says. Painfully where they were trying to get where God had sent them was a very painful trip for the wind was against them. What Jesus sent them into a storm where the wind was against them. See, it wasn't at their back. He had them down here. And about the fourth watch is the night. This is between like 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. He came to them. 
walking on the sea. And he meant to pass them by. (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) Not too good, huh? (laughs) See you later. (laughs) So he meant to pass them by. But when the disciples saw on the sea, when they saw Jesus, they thought he was a ghost. And they start crying out, Holy cow! I don't know what they said. It's a ghost! Because they saw him and were terrified. But immediately, understand God is sovereign control of of everything, and this was all planned out. (laughs) Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take to heart, it is I. It's me. Don't be afraid. I'm with you in this storm. I got you. I put you in it. I'm going to take you through it. I put you in it. I'm going to take you through it. This is how you get from the promise to the fruit. Study the lives of the people in the Bible. Do not be afraid. And then it's interesting to know that Mark got his teaching of the gospel. He recorded the gospel from the mouth of the apostle Peter. I love Peter. I feel like Peter sometimes because when he was right, he was right. But boy, howdy, sometimes he would do stuff and it was wrong and he was just wrong. Right? And so there's something missing right here that the other Gospels record. I'm going to show it to you in Matthew in just a moment. But Mark records from the lips of Peter all that happened was we said... That's ah, a ghost. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. And he got into the boat with them. And immediately, what happened? The wind ceased. The storm stopped when God got into the boat. And they were all astounded. Now, I heard a guy teaching about this. And he said that he was recording a book. And when he was recording the book, he would have to stop a lot. And, you know, to, to make it sound right. And... And the guy that was recording, the producer that was there listening, you know, he said, hey, tell me a story for Pete's sake. I'm burning out here. I'm reading my book online. Just t- and so he did, and he told him a story about this president that was recording his memoirs. And when they came to a certain part of his life that happened in a certain Oval Office, he was like, we don't really have to put this in, do we? People are getting tired of hearing about this. Maybe if I would have done it in this voice, she would have knew what I was talking about. <laughs> And when he was recording his memoir, he was like, let's just leave that part out. No one needs to know that. And I think that's why, I think that's why Peter said, look, Mark, no one wants to hear about what I did when Jesus was coming in the storm. Let's just leave that out. Okay, so that being said, I'm going to read to you Matthew 14, verse 26 through 33. It's the same story. Listen, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, ah, it's a ghost or whatever, right? And they cried out, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now look what Matthew (laughs) says. Okay, let me tell you what really happened. Peter jumped out of the boat because he freaked out and he didn't want to weather the storm, so he jumped ship. Loser. (laughs) Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out onto the water. And Peter heard, Come. But I think the other disciples said, Peter, you're dumb. (laughs) Peter's like, Peter, come. Okay, the other disciples said, Jesus said, no, no, Peter, you're dumb. Stay in a boat, right? 
Peter, come. So Peter got out of the boat, which I guess could have been fine because God is sovereign and he can fix anything. But watch this. He walked on the water, coming to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, turn my eye, O God, from looking at worthless things and give me life in your word. If he wouldn't have paid attention to the storm going on around him and he would have just listened to Jesus' word to come, instead focus on that come. I'm blind to the things of the world. I'm just going to come to Jesus. He would have made it. But because he started looking at the storm, he freaked out. And he sunk. He sunk. He sunk. He jumped out of the boat and sunk. But God in his faithfulness was there to reach down and pull Peter right back up. And then Jesus places Peter back into the boat. And the wind when Peter, when Jesus and Peter got back into the boat, Peter almost lost his life because he quit down here. He wasn't going to tell us that. But Matthew said, hang on, that'll help the people. I'm going to put that in my gospel. Don't jump out of the boat. What are you waiting for right now? Where does this seem like it's just storms all around you and you're not bearing the fruit that God said you would bear? Stay in the boat. Don't get out of the ark. Don't get out of the church. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. This is what will bring you to harvest. Stay with me today. I'm going to leave you with this, guys. And this this little three by five note card. I almost lost it today. Um, this this little three by five note cards. Believe it or not, is one of the most meaningful things to me in my life because of what is written on it and the reason it's written on it. I keep this in my Bible. No matter the message I'm preaching, no matter the word I'm reading, it is always in my Bible and I always know it's there. And I just wanted to share this with y'all today to summarize everything that the Lord just taught us about waiting. And what this is, is a few years ago when my son Ryder went through his cancer battle, I was, as you could imagine, our whole household, my wife, myself, my daughter, we were crushed. And we were in the storm, and we were like, God, what the heck? I mean, we we have answered your call, and, you know, what's, what's going on? And one day when I was at work, my wife just sent me this verse. And I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be up on the screen on the ESV version, but I'm going to read it to you in the message version. Because sometimes the way that Bible says stuff is pretty cool. It's not a great Bible to get your theology out of, okay? Because it's just, anyway, who cares? Listen to this. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Just, I know I'm not God. Just listen to the voice of God in these words to you, because that's why it was written. Consider it a sheer gift. 
not a departure from God. Not like you're going down the wrong road, but consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. When Jesus says a storm's coming, hurry up and get in the boat. I want you to go out there because I've got to teach you something. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open. And God didn't light your candle to put it under a bucket. He wants you to light up the world. He wants you to light up your world. When you're in the storm, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely, Peter. How often when you get in a storm are you saying, God, get me out of this! Hurry! I can't take it anymore! Dude, that's like, I, that's like every day for me. <laughs> but God says, hold on. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it. What's it? The suffering, the storm, the tribulation, the trial that God put on you, the tests and challenges that seem to just be coming at you from every angle. God put that there. Let it do its work so that you become mature so that I can take you from a seed to a pretty yard so that you become mature and well developed not deficient see here's God's desire for you not to just excel in a few things but he wants you to not be deficient in anything let me share with you real quick Jake kind of said it last week when he was preaching, and this has been on my heart a lot lately, um, a little graph for this verse, a little word graph. I wrote it on the back of this card, and it's circular. Tried faith equals or produces growing faith, okay? You with me? Tried faith grows your faith. Growing faith gives you hope. It's amazing to me. Some of the things that God puts me through and I come out on the other side, I'm like, I'll be doggone. Huh, God really is with me. Huh. If I would have went through that, I wouldn't have known that. And when I feel like God really is with me, guess what? Even just saying that, it makes my heart beat fast. And I start getting happy. Better than happy, I feel joy. Tried faith grows your faith. Growing faith gives you hope. Hope gives you joy. And that joy comes back around and build your faith, which gives you hope, which gives you joy, which builds your faith, which gives you hope, which gives you joy. And God wants you to be full of joy so you can light up his world. Let us pray together today. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that in my flesh I haven't gotten in the way of what your Holy Spirit would like to do here today for your people. I pray that they are greatly encouraged. And I pray, God, that we can just go out and face the storms of life in faith, knowing that you are with us, knowing that you are holding our hand. You were on the mountain watching. You were coming on the lake for us, God, and you're about to get in the boat and calm every storm. We thank you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's enter into worship and just sing unto the Lord as we uh, wrap up service today.